0: There's a new batch of fall merch now available from White Centipede Noise. Black hoodies, red earth crewnecks, and t-shirts in red, blue, pink, and camo. All printed on high-quality, 100% organic, Stanley Stella garments. They are now available to pre-order for the fall season at WhiteCentipedeNoise.com. Pre-orders are open until October 7th. These will not be printed in overrun, so order now to secure your size. Hello and welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast, the show by and for noise maniacs. I'm Oscar Brummel, and today my guest will be Manuel Paraida of the label Narcolepsia out of Portugal. Manuel is one of my first international noise contacts and friends. Uh, we've been in touch consistently throughout the last 15 years. Had a chance to meet a couple times. It was really great to catch up with him and really hear his thoughts about what he does and why. If you like the show and you love noise, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. There are a lot of benefits of doing this. You're not only supporting the show, but you also get access to all sorts of bonus content, discounts, thank you gifts. If you join at the Maniac Circle level, you get access to the White Centipede Noise Discord server. Thanks to John Ingram, Tony Stovic, Dries Bernhardt, DF, and all the others who wish to remain anonymous for being heavy sponsors of White Centipede Noise podcast. Now on to Manuel. All right. Hello, Manuel. Welcome to White Sensitive Noise Podcast. Thank you for meeting no, me this morning. You. Um, so you run the label narcolepsia out of Portugal. Um, before we get started, can you tell me a little bit about what narcolepsia is as a label and its origins?
1: Uh, well, it started as my, the, the, the main, the original idea was to do, since I don't have any project of myself, it has always been like, uh, I try to do a personal uh, display of what were my interests in noise at the at time. So... Uh, it shows an evolution that is uh, more or less my personal uh, personal evolution. Not uh, really strictly like that because my, my listening habits and my uh, listening interest may not be like totally up to what I'm releasing, of course. But that was the idea. I don't really know what when I started. I don't. These things are, uh, happen as as they go, right? I don't, I don't, re- I didn't really have that goal when I started, defined, what that is.
0: What was your motivation to start a label in the first place? Because you weren't a musician, and, and you know, you were, you, I think, were really one of my first noise contacts. I don't remember exactly how we got untouched, but you and I, I think, kind of, at least, I don't know if you entered the scene at the same time as me, but I felt like we were kind of both getting involved around the same time and we connected really early. Um, but what, what were your motivations to start a label at that time? Cause you're not, a, you don't do noise yourself. So what was it that you made you say, okay, I want to release music?
1: Uh, I think we got in, we got in contact with, uh, through the Arsenal as well board. Yeah. It was a, I think it was a really cool place. Lots of great people there that I'm still in touch. Many years after, yeah. Uh, even if our interest in the thing itself may may have uh, vanished a bit, or, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm st- I still like good, good Arsenal as well, but that's not uh, the, the the main here. Uh, what was uh, the motivation? I. I had already been involved in the, not in, in noise, but in uh, uh, in black metal. I was involved uh, mainly as a listener and uh, active listener, like, like really spending lots of hours looking for more obscure stuff, trading stuff, buying stuff, and... Uh, that was natural for me to get involved in some way in this new, newish thing that I, I was uh, discovering and uh, I was, I would not feel uh, fully realized only as a passive consumer, let's say mm-hmm. that doesn't exist, I think in this doesn't exist uh, in something like this. It's very hard to be uh, just a passive consumer. You feel the urge to to get involved in any way. That's true.
0: Yeah, that message board was really great. I mean, that was that also at a time where harsh noise wall had just kind of started to define itself as something different, and a lot of people, a lot of really great artists, and were still on board with it. So you had like a lot of people in there that are known, well known in general, harsh noise still today, not doing harsh noise wall. But you had a lot of I won't say any names, but it's a really active place. But but really kind of a still a small focused group. You didn't have as much spamming and like random junk as you had on like the other noise boards. Yeah. Whereas I feel like that, that genre has maybe developed into something where it's really kind of separate and it, it's, it's become something else, but that was a nice moment when it was still, you know, these sort of rules had kind of come out and everyone's like no movement, blah, blah, blah. but you still have people that were coming to it from a very harsh noise background, whereas yeah, a lot of a lot of times harsh harsh noise wall artists now are people who follow it don't really have much interest or experience with harsh noise as a whole genre. You know, they come. I feel straight to this harsh noise wall static thing from somewhere completely different. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't follow it anymore at that level. So. But I have that. Uh, it's like a gimmick. Uh, they don't have the background. Back then, you were just uh, approaching arsenals as long blocks of massive uh, sound. Right. It wasn't like a, an Nintendo. It feels like a joke thing. Like maybe I, I don't know. It's, uh... Back then, it was like yeah. I, uh, I wasn't that, and I'm still not that knowledgeable about like Japanese noise and stuff like that. It was the first harsh noise that I got in uh, contact with because it, it was uh, the well-known names that got uh, a bit out of the... If you were an outsider, those were like Mersba or whatever.
0: Right.
1: Uh, I felt much more... Uh, identified with that uh, approach. Yeah. But we had like uh, I don't know like Taskmaster, permanent time, stuff like that that is not uh, Arsenoid's wall if by the means it, by the standards that it got to, to define itself later but it's like massive Arsenal. Yeah. And then from then I got to discover a lot of uh, other good stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. And So what is the purpose in your opinion of a, of an underground label and what should be its goals and responsibilities in your mind?
1: Uh, I think you have to, you have to create an identity. Um, I try to create an identity and but at the same time I avoid to impose that. Like I, I try to be as invisible as possible but my selection, my approach to... First of all, my selection of artists, the, the people I deal with, should reflect that identity. And then we have to... There are, I think, these these are like unwritten rules that you have to be underground, uh, relies on on uh, certain codes that they I don't really don't know or I don't need to specify much of it. But if you talk to uh, an outsider, people like a regular guy, about some of the stuff like trading or stuff like that, or sending things at advance and uh, hope, uh, trusting people to return stuff. Uh, things as simple as that. If, if you talk to a regular guy, it will be, that will be very alien to him. So I try to... as possible, as, I, as much as I can, to, to act the way I, I learned to do things and I hopefully I'm, I do it in a correct way, honest Mm -hmm.
0: way. It's interesting that you say that because it seems, you know, a lot of these things about, you know, underground ethics or guidelines, they are kind of alien to people, but at the same time, they're really just based on some sort of utopian common sense, I think, like. You know, that's the, that's the amazing thing about, I think, interacting and doing business, so to speak, within the underground is that it is really expected 100%. And everyone, I mean, not everyone, people break it, get kind of chastised, hopefully, um, but it's really just expected that you act totally proper, you know, ethically. The way you would be kind of raised as a child to say, you know, like your child, your, your your mother might say, okay, you know, you share, you you be fair, you give the people what they deserve, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't, you know, try to compete and get above people. That's really, those are kind of like, the ba- they're like very basic kind of like, I don't know, Christian societal, I mean, I don't want to say Christian, but you know, like kind of like they're the kind of the basic blocks of like what you would teach your child on how to play with their friends. And that's kind of how the underground operates. That's kind of what underground ethics are, I feel. And, yeah. then, and then when it comes to like, you know, normal business that you're all these things that exist in like a, a you know, I like guess a capitalist marketplace that dictate the things you have to kind of reject those, you know, where it's like someone making someone making their own, shirts might be willing Oh, if you can make the shirt for one one dollar and sell it for 30 that's a good thing like you're you're being smart but it's kind of like in the underground and that kind of you're being exploitative you know for example that's a i guess that's a way to put it is just like that kind of really basic code of ethics is expected it's kind of like the co- it's kind of like just simple codes of basic decency and, and fairness yeah, yeah. and honesty that are like the things that you're expected to follow.
1: Yeah, in the the regular world of business, it's quite the opposite. They they teach you. I had uh, uh, while I was uh, I did a master in publishing studies. That was uh, totally useless for my <laughs> for my life other than learning things, which I guess is enough uh and uh, I had a couple of uh, classes at the business department it, it was really uh, like totally the opposite of and I was trying to uh, some introduce some topics that are close to our practice and uh, they were like that they don't even... Uh, No, or uh, for them that is not like what are you talking about trading and
0: uh... (laughs) yeah it's interesting it's crazy i think that's something that's the that's the most valuable thing i think about
1: underground without that it wouldn't survive this little uh, universe uh, immersed in
0: yeah exactly that's right um what what guides you when you decide what you release? Because you work with a quite diverse um, body of artists over the years. It's you know, it's kind of evolved. And you seem like to me, you kind of release whatever you want. And you've also b- been ahead of the curve on a lot of popular artists. For example, you released like Linecraft. I feel a couple years before.
1: Yeah, yeah. two thousand. I think when? 17. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Much prior to hospital releases it... or test for. Right.
0: How did you get in touch with Linecraft, for example? This episode of White Cynic Noise podcast is brought to you by Sinkhole Entertainment. Sinkhole Entertainment presents Spate Dog Mono album, a follow-up to 2021's Neuter disc on the Robert Fuchs label. Dogmono is a poetry of body sonics and binary cognitive diminishment, a music brightly colored in its edge and slantwise motion. Misguided ego dissolution joins an attitude of aggrandizement all along a side street whilst at times a common structure is rendered unlikely. We cast a shadow on clarity, a phlegmatic album for which harsh is the metaphor through. Digipack CD with booklet. Find it at sinkholeentertainment.bigcartel.com or in a distro near you. This episode of White Centipede Noise Podcast is brought to you by Front Range Noise Fest. Front Range Noise Fest is a three-day event taking place in Denver, Colorado, October 28th through the 30th. The weekend hosts local and national acts such as Boar, Many Blessings, Compactor, Scuzz Nun, Maltreatment, Rush Falconer, and more. Single and three-day passes can be purchased at frontrangenoise.brownpapertickets.com. How did you get in touch with Linecraft, for example?
1: Uh, I think uh, Aldo from Neil by Mouth had already released the tape. Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, And I found it very unique. I still find Linecraft one of the most unique uh, artists right now. Um, With its very old school industrial uh, approach, but uh, it's... Uh, very unique, very personal and very mm-hmm. Japanese, but not, uh, it is Japanese, but it doesn't follow the it doesn't follow the, the local uh, thing in many ways, but it it's also not like uh, some of the Lost Vessel stuff, for example, which uh, were uh, very directly influenced by like old school uh, European stuff, mainly.
0: Right.
1: Even if some of the releases are really good. Minecraft, it's a thing of its own, I think. I really, I think it was through getting that first tape on uh, Neil by Mouth mm-hmm. and finding it very special.
0: Yeah. And then what's your process for kind of choosing other artists? I mean, you kind of described it to your personal okay. taste, but. What other sort of decisions go into deciding which artists you release?
1: I usually have to usually, uh, okay. Usually because there are a few, very few examples of people who approach me. Like I, I try to do a not, like n- not getting uh, demos or stuff like that, because I would be, I, even, even if I, I say it. Sometimes I've got random submissions of like stuff that uh, people saying, I love your label and uh, I'm uh, totally sure they didn't, they didn't even check it. Yeah. Because they are submitting something that is, has nothing to do. <laughs> uh, okay, but um, I had a couple of uh, out of the blue submissions that were really... Okay, like this is really good, and yeah. a relationship developed from then. Right, but usually I have to be trading with that guy or following it uh, actively in some way, and uh, it comes naturally because yeah. I, I've already been, I'm already interested in, in what he's doing. Uh, and uh, okay, I find uh, if I find it, uh, it's the right timing to do it also. I try not to, I try to get a bit of, if uh, someone is releasing a lot of stuff in other labels that are good labels as well, I try not, okay, maybe a bit later, I try to, try to combine that, like, uh, I'm not uh, finding any gems behind, uh, below a stone, like, I follow what, what happens. Uh, some of the artists I release are, are more well known, others are uh, things I, that are really not exposed. And I believe uh, I have. Okay, we're talking about what uh, one of the main things of a label is I, uh, many years after, I think I have already the a power to, even if it's uh, in a small scale, to, okay, I'm releasing this guy and I will at least. Getting him to a few G stores around the world, so I will be make make sure he will be listened. So yeah. that is very rewarding for me, especially for those guys who are only like self releasing stuff in very limited quantities or, or don't have the the exposure they I believe they deserve.
0: Yeah. Why is that rewarding um, for you? What what do, what do you, what do you feel from that ability to share or kind of promote someone, someone's work when you, you know, you probably don't profit from it much. I mean, you might make a few bucks off the tapes, you know, but you're not really profiting from it grossly. Where is what does the satisfaction come from?
1: I think that's the one of the main, if not the main, uh, goals of the label. It's to uh, release peop- uh, people's work that I believe is very valuable, uh, and use my the pla- platforms I built throughout the years to, to expose it to new new years. And uh, I think that's what I why I'm doing this in the first uh, place.
0: Your aesthetics and label approach are kind of a combination I see between in my, my mind of kind of like classic approach, but still with a very unique personal touch. There's no label that looks like yours. You know, you do work with a lot of collage, kind of old school aesthetic and. But still a very personal approach, and, you know, you've been using color from the early days and your tapes are unmistakably marcolepsia. Do you think there's value in the status quo or kind of traditions that exist in industrial noise, or do you wish more labels followed a more unique path?
1: Well, uh, my eye, I like to... I'm a very visual guy, first of all, so... I studied film studies. I don't know if you... Okay. That's, uh, we can talk about that a bit later. Mm-hmm. I'm a very visual guy and uh, record covers and artworks have always been very interesting to me. It's Probably uh, the interesting sound and visuals has been uh, happening at the same time. I do uh, like to research a lot. Of old artworks, and uh, like I believe we should respect tradition in that in that uh, sense. Otherwise, we will come. Many people like uh, start doing. Many people know, but uh, some guys like. Uh, if you don't know the past, you will probably trying to do. Thinking you are doing something very unique, and you're not. So. It's important to know where you come from, but uh, apply. There are others. Uh, try not to to look uh, retro in the way. That I don't like it. Retro. In the way that it's like a gimmick of the yeah. past, like recycling the past. With uh, you can you can feel it. You can. Uh, you are just like looking at uh, the the status from the past and like recycling it to a new uh, you're not in, infusing them with your own uh, and it can still be very classic like some of the stuff I do it's very very classic and uh, uh, still very classic but I try to. to have a bit of my own visual, uh, approach, even though, uh, from the l- uh, last few years on, I get, I have been giving a lot of more, uh, liber- uh, freedom to the, to the artist to do, if I'm familiar with this, uh, with uh, the aesthetics of the artist and I'm, I think it will fit in if you, if you compare, like, uh, I was very uh, much more strict back then. Because sure. I want, I'm not sure why I wanted to I was very interested to create a very firm visual identity and I'm a bit more uh, relaxed on that right now but I still believe it uh, it fits in a weird way everything a weird puzzle
0: yeah definitely that's also something I've developed across the't the the history of white sent to be noise, I really at the beginning liked this label aesthetic and I was really strict about me doing all the artwork, but more and more I really want I want the release, the artwork to complement the artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it and it also fit with the label, but I really like this idea of it, you know, I want it to look I want it to look like the artist's sound. I want it to, to work with their sound. And I don't I'm less into the whole batch label look. You know, where every several tapes because I feel like I feel like the, the the individuality of the artist then gets lost in some sense like when five or six tapes come out from a label and they all have very very similar design and layout I think in some sense I I blur over what each artist is doing individually and I yeah think narcolepsia even even with your releases that have a very consistent aesthetic I think they you seem to really approach each one quite individually
1: with yeah. the artwork and the collage. I don't like to. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not saying it's a wrong approach, but that like batch, batch aesthetic, like, uh, okay, it might work on a collectible level. Like he want to get all like, yeah. Uh, but I try to i i talk to the artist i i i also i'm not imposing my i'm a i'm not imposing my perception of my visual perception of what the sound is but i'm it it it's also it's always on communication with the artist but yeah i try to it it should be narcolepsy and it should should also be very much the artist himself
0: yeah absolutely I remember working with you on the wince tape that you did and you you found the perfect image, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what what are your thoughts on the current noise scene? That's a really open ended question, but but you know, like what, what what is your assessment of the current situation and how things are communicated, like how things are marketed? the kind of music that's coming out. Are there things about the current state of the scene that you really are excited about or believe in or are there certain things that turn you off?
1: Uh, I believe there is a lot of great music being done. Really, uh, in terms of quantity and quality, lots of good stuff happening uh in terms of uh, communication and marketing that's a bit of a problem but it's i'm not sure if uh i think it's a personal problem more than anything my problem with it uh, like i'm i recently had to like shut down uh, social media at least for a bit uh because I, not only it, it doesn't have uh, to do with uh, only with the noise, but I was like, you are scrolling and you're trying to find interesting stuff, and you are being invited with uh, sponsored content, like Alphabet. It, it's uh, random sponsored content, and yeah. it's a bit weird that you're sharing. Uh, we were talking about that utopian world of uh, authenticity back then, uh, a bit uh, ago. Uh, and you're sharing it with the exact opposite of it. <laughs> it's a bit weird. Uh, it will probably affect me, but uh, at least for now it was uh, I had to do it for a bit. But uh, I think the, it is inevitable for the people who are there to use that tool, those tools uh, at our adv- advantage, right? Um, it's weird because you you will uh, anyway you will get uh, affected by it the communication will get affected by that uh, by the rhythm of it by the uh, it affects your focus your uh, communication like uh It's so very too easy, I think. Like uh, there have been examples where people uh, are too. I don't. I'm not sure if if we should call it lazy, but uh, writing an email it, it it's like a huge amount of work.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Getting touch and asking like how how can I get it? Yeah. Uh, if you don't have like a click button, and uh, I understand, I, I use it myself in, in some, some times, but it's uh, it. it uh, I try to avoid it. It's very anonymous, like yeah. I've always been into like we are not only doing. Uh, Fine, economical transactions here of course we are uh, promoting a product selling a product we are not that's the main thing we are doing because the music is uh, contained in the object that we have to trade for money for other objects yeah. but uh, it shouldn't end there it shouldn't end in a click we should uh, talk about it uh, that should be the the starting point for something else not only not every time but whenever it's possible we should do it i think
0: do you think the increase of connectivity and social media etc has correlated with a decrease in serious engagement in in music or art or in communication with others
1: uh, Probably, yeah. I think... Uh, the illusion of uh, being uh, connected to everyone leads to not really being connected with anyone at all, I think. Like you're... I don't know... How to, how to explain it better, uh, it's it's like an illusion.
0: How important for you when you release things is like reception from people and sales?
1: Uh, in which ways can you explain better?
0: Well, like. Like how important when you release something, how important it is to get feedback from, say, fans or yeah. or sales. I mean, how 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 big a role does that play in your
1: satisfaction in the label? Uh, that's very important, I think. Uh, but it hap- It's very. It doesn't happen much. Uh, but I think that's common to everyone. The transaction the relationship ends with a transaction uh, we we feel we feel we are uh, in a bubble like even even more like I'm in Portugal uh, I don't have uh, uh, I'm not in a place where there are regular gives or other labels or. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I can share and, and see what what they are doing what uh, how is the local climate so I'm very my work is very I'm connected to a network but it's a global network that's happening exclusively uh, through internet or almost uh, but uh, so uh, when we release we spend a lot of time working on uh, on uh, releases with the artists we we are planning everything. We release it like you get a week of uh, orders and uh, small comments, uh, uh, icons, <laughs> not uh, and then uh, it it ends and you don't have you have you may have a small review on the board. A review later on uh, on a publication uh, but it ends and you don't really get to know how it was uh, received, what people thought of it uh, I miss that a bit but I think I, I'm not sure how to how that can be solved and I think it ha- that probably happens to everyone doing this or at different levels, but you probably feel the same. Yeah.
0: I think it's very common, a very common feeling. And it is a fact that it is like that. And it's also a, you know, relative to expectations. And yeah, I noticed that myself. I mean, it's, I think it's partially literally happening like relating to logistics and how many people are buying or commenting whatever it's also partially related to like psychological aspect because i'm like you know you put something out there that you really believe in you worked a lot on and people are pretty tight-lipped it's it's hard to get enough because that's really i mean i don't know that's a big part of what makes it worth is hearing that it makes an impact on people and it's hard to get enough of that. I mean, it's like, I think for some people, it's also really important to realize the scene is so small sometimes that when you count how many people actually are responding or, or, or writing you or writing a comment somewhere, it's still very small. I mean, we're talking like fingers on the hand, you know, maybe, maybe two hands. If you're like really, if you've done a lot, it's like two hands. It's like, you know, and that, that can always, I think that's, maybe an inherent like post release depression that I think a lot of people have experienced, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like post, it, post, uh, post, post-coitus, post-coitus depression or, 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 you know, post-tour depression, people speak about that too, you know, it's never really the the feedback that you wish it was. I don't know. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that's like the dominant effect. But there's oftentimes that kind of lingering taste. W- what what keeps you going? Because you've been releasing stuff pretty consistently. In you I mean I've, I have to commend you because there's been a long period of you've been involved in noise pretty heavily for like 15 years. And even in those phases that you know I've kind of talked about where noise really wasn't cool, we're lucky right now. Noise is cool. You know, noise is cool again, and people are buying harsh noise again, and people are promoting it and blah, blah, blah. But there have been periods where people were not into it. And you were still releasing stuff and carrying on in that period. I mean, maybe a little slower, like everyone, but
1: what, what keeps you going through all that? Uh, I'll go on as long as I have passion for the sounds and interest in uh, listening to it. And uh, promoting it, releasing it. Uh, I'm not. Uh, f- I'm not immune to the trends. Let's say I'm not using trends as a negative uh, term here. Like I follow, I know what's happening, yeah. uh, but I try to approach it from my point of view, from my personal interest. So. As long as I have uh, passion and money, <laughs> I'll go on. I'll try to go on, even if slowing a bit. That's already in the plan. Uh, but uh, I, 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 don't see myself not doing anything related to, to this. Only yeah. if I, if it becomes totally undoable.
0: You mentioned having money. Um... Can you talk a little bit about the economics of releasing DIY music, how that how that works out? Does it require a lot of investment up front? Maybe for people who don't really know how re- releasing music on physical format works. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, there have been periods of more activity and periods of less activity. That's all... Uh, Gets to do with uh, available money, probably at the time. But uh, I, I'm not do, uh, getting into um, to details here. But I, I've always tried to find a way to to keep doing it. I think that's uh, underground is finding a way. It's finding a solution. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it can be. We can talk about some at least for my skill, it's a very serious investment that i have to at least recover yeah uh, you have to be very organized i think that's uh you can't ignore it you can't uh, it's like it's the it's not the We were, uh, we were talking about uh, an ide- idealistic uh, vision of this, and then of yeah. course uh, we have to. We are uh, producing uh, something. We are uh, selling a product, uh, sending it abroad. Uh, that is that must be. Otherwise, it w- it won't last. Yeah.
0: Prices are always constantly going up, especially recently. Cost serious money to, to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's become it's uh, turning CDs are good right now to do. Tapes are uh, stupidly. It's also becoming a trend. So outside of this circle. so yeah. Uh, finding it's uh, it's absurd. Uh, but we'll find a way. I think.
0: Yeah. What do you think might be the future of physical formats, as things get more expensive and logistics become more difficult?
1: Uh, yeah, you, you talked about that in the previous uh, interviews, and I've been thinking about it. Uh, either you release less and uh, apply a more, more strict. Uh, I'm talking from the art point of view. Sure. You, you apply a, a more strict uh, quality control, let's say. Uh, or you find alternatives, like recycling material or something like that. Because I, I, I do like proper albums, but I, with notes, I also like very much to uh, follow a certain artist. Uh, not everything must be uh, a proper album not everything I like, really like, like imperfections in, in earth like uh, that's something you probably I probably wouldn't find uh, that much in previous in black metal for example. You had Rear, earth which would kind of fill in that feeling the void between albums. And you know, you don't, you at least, while it's still doable financially, you you, you can have a, a long term career, without really a proper album. Yeah. And I really like that. I like to, not everything has to be a, a proper album, but if the, the, the price is increasing that much, uh, I don't know. Either you, either you focus on, in a way, it, it could benefit, everyone could benefit from a, a more quality control. Sometimes it's it, okay. You, but I wouldn't like that to be forced because yeah. of the external financial conditions or limitations. uh
0: should tapes be much more expensive than they are retail for
1: example much more much more expensive if they should be yeah uh they we we i've been increasing them a bit according to what cost we them. So, but we, we gets to a point like if i'm rather than what, uh uh, I was checking some. I'm uh, not, it doesn't matter what I was what saying, but if you're in text installed outside of this uh, context, you see them installed already for like 12 years, 15 years. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. If that's doable. Even yeah, then, but... then, it's a mess. Like 10, for 10 years, it must be a really, uh, you have to, you have invested a lot in the quality of the thing you are doing. Like,
0: yeah, it, it is too bad because yeah, in reality, the cost of a tape is much more, if you were to cost, if you were to price it, like you price a CD or something like that, or, you know, it should be like, yeah, like 12...
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: probably. Um, But but people won't, I mean, it's like, but who's, people are, tapes have always been a nice format for producing large quantities of stuff. And I, you know, like you said, like this kind of in-between album stuff, which is really important. I mean, I kind of, I've kind of talked about, yeah, like more quality control, less, less releases. But yeah, of course those, those ideas and, and, and smaller releases are really important to noise. And the ability to have a lot of releases out there is like really important and nice part of it. So, I mean, Tapes were always the best format for that, but they're almost the same amount to produce as a CD. But you still have to price it differently, even though there's a ton ton more work that goes into it. That's the funny thing is you can, get, you can order from a plant and get the CD shipped to your house, shrink-wrapped. All you have to do is put it in an envelope and send it out, and you can sell it for more and make, you know, there's more profit margin there whereas a tape you have to keep it you kind of have to keep it at a certain price point but you know unless you're getting it pro dubbed you're also getting it shrink wrapped to you you're dubbing it cutting it folding it you know it's so much more work that goes into it and then at the end of the day it has to be like you know 9 you know for a while it was I remember when tapes were 6 6 to 7 and now it's kind of like 8 or 9 is kind of normal but Realistically, it should be like 12 or 15, you know, like just if you, if you actually like logically calculated the amount of work and stuff like that. So they have a different role, but I think that's another good example of an object that is like, has more meaning than its economic value, Mm -hmm. you know, they're symbolic of that will to get something out, to, to release music and that culture surrounding it rather than just a product
1: yeah yeah of course it would it, it be only limited to to being a product it must be. realistically it's a product but it's more than that but the problem probably is that uh, cds are priced higher than they should <laughs> it's not the opposite maybe. sorry say it again cds are probably priced higher than they should According to the, the, the producing cost nowadays. So, but how, how are you reducing it? You are not reducing it alone. People have expectations that it should be between 11 and 13, let's say. Uh, that's what, if you're selling it for, it's hard to, to change it alone. But it's not only tapes that should be a bit higher price, but CDs probably should be, we should price it according to the, how it costs to produce but it's difficult because you have expectations that come from a time when tapes were super cheap. Even 7 inches was a very underground format. Nowadays it's undoable. It's like, it's impossible. You do, you, and I really, it's really, really sad because especially for noise, 7 inches, I think are real good. It's a really, I love the format and like it's a small for arsenals, it's, it's or power electronics. You can create like,
0: yeah, definitely. But it's totally, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how the, the simple economics of industries outside of our, what we do dictate so much about how things get done like you know the cost of rubber the cost of whatever the cost of fuel dictate whether or not a seven inch costs nine dollars to make or you know three and you know at the end of the day what we should be i mean at the end of the day there should be more i it'd be great if there were more money there to be spent on the artist you know which i think is one one interesting someone brought up an interesting point about bandcamp i think on the screaming rise forum i think it was i think it was bill from house Peg. he mentioned like he likes supporting he likes buying stuff on bandcamp these days because of course bandcamp takes their cut but then the money he's spending on a release is going mostly into the artist's pocket when you buy a tape that money Hardly any of that is going to the artist, who, the person who created its pocket, or the label even. Most of that money is going into the pressing plant, you know, all the material costs and things like that just to make it. And then, you know, the creator, the ideas, the, the artist behind it, there's really not, that's not being paid with the money. The money's going into the, the materials, literally the materials. So I think that's an interesting that's an interesting case to make for kind of more digital or or whatever formats or or you know that the creator the the idea is actually able to reap some of the material benefits from it. Yeah. You know, the price is just going up and up and up and we're just kind of keeping our we're just kind of keeping the margin lower and lower and lower and lower we can pay the the seven inch for example like the, the seven inches i've released on white enemy noise were like priced at cost basically just because i had to because they're so expensive because they were cool they're important things to make but that's just that just makes no sense you know that every person who spends ten dollars on it or whatever twelve dollars on it they're just giving it to the pressing plant
1: I don't know. I don't have answers.
0: (laughs) No, no, I don't know. I don't either. I mean, I don't have answers, but it's it's the whole. I it is when when you really break it down like that, it, it is important to I think remember that it's really about the promotion of the music, and even if a label tries to make some money and is able to make some money, that's good, but it's not. It can't be ever in the in the in the focus because you can't do it.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah you've also done a lot of split label releases yeah a few
1: yeah
0: not a lot a few what's what's uh what makes you decide to do those
1: uh, mostly I'm presented with a with an ongoing project or The artist already has an idea or already has someone. Either we have already... Either I'm approached by another label and the artist or the artist approaches me and we think about a common friend who also would be willing to participate. And it allows for... uh, I've done a few... uh, There are a few people who I... Do it more or less uh, regularly, uh, and if you split, for example, if you, uh, someone approaches me to do a CD, like it's very doable, yeah, uh, between two or three levels, it's okay. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, it allows, for example, to uh, I'm doing the. I think I told you. It is already. It should be out very soon. The Caroline KLP reissue. right? Yep. And yep. With uh, old captain and for IB. Yep. Uh, if I would do, if I was to do it alone, I wouldn't be able to. It's right. like super expensive for my for my uh, scale. Sure. Uh, so it uh, either. Um, allows for something that wouldn't be, for example, Romain Peruel, uh, yeah. has approached me a few times with the CDs that uh, like I'm, uh, if I'm doing it with uh, between three labels, I'm not, I'm not worried with uh, getting a return. I know it will, it will pay itself easily and I can release stuff that uh, projects, projects that are not that visible. That I, I can do it without it's okay, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, either that or doing a bigger stuff like the LP I mentioned that I yeah. will never be able to do alone. Yeah. So it's a, a very pragmatic uh, view of doing it. It should be, it can be a solution for, for example, uh, the LP agreed with. Uh, for IB, that it covers a certain area for distribution, I cover another. So, it, we have a new vinyl pressing plant in Portugal mm-hmm. very recently. So, cool, it can be a good solution for that. It's a very pragmatic approach to doing things, I think. Yeah, it's very also ethically, we are cooperating to, to make things happen. So, yeah, I like that as well.
0: Yeah. I think that I think that that is a good idea in the in the future maybe also that you know I think u s and European label splits is a very good idea and will will be probably more in the future just in terms of um shipping costs you know it's i think that that is one solution that people are already using but probably will become more more important in the near future um why do you think some labels remain underrated or underappreciated where others get a lot of hype and attention like very quickly?
1: Uh, there are some dynamics that I think you want, you don't control. Others, it has to do probably with uh, the way you promote yourself, the small network you're inserted in, the willing to do that kind of promotion. Uh, but mostly I think it's... I think that, that those are the topics. You are. You have to... Nowadays you have to, to play with the tools you have available. If you know how to do it, probably it will be easier to get that immediate recognition. Uh, if you're not doing it, it will be difficult. It also has to do with... Uh, but I think it also has to a lot to do with external things that you don't I don't know
0: you mentioned though not not willing to be do to be doing it what what's there that one might not want to do or be willing to do that others might be willing to do
1: uh, well if you're if you're uh... Social media, for example, if you're willing to use it, I can't even. I don't even know how to use it in a very effective way. Even if I would still there, imagine that uh, all the promotion goes to every label. The trend with promoting labels was like tic, uh, funny TikTok videos. <laughs> it could happen. Yeah, uh, if you were willing to do it, you would probably get access to the young people avid of. Uh, getting a laugh with uh, TikTok videos. If you are not doing it, you are excluding yourself from it right away. That's an extreme example. But uh, if, you're, uh, uh, if you're willing to use the, some of the platforms available and know how to use it, it will be easier to get that uh, like instant uh, visibility. Uh, also it has to do with uh, it, it's not only that but you you will probably have to affect uh, what you are releasing if you are following the trends you, it can be our, uh, uh, your main motivation can be a bit shadier than, than the, this idealistic thing we are talking about You can follow the trends and see what's popular. And okay, let's make some money with uh, this. I'm not saying uh, it's only that. Uh, Everyone follows what's going on, but you can... I think it's not that uh, difficult to adapt yourself to a practice that allows you to uh, get that... uh, very immediate recognition, I think so. But that's do,
0: do you think saying no to certain things, or I'm forgetting the English word for this, uh, but like restraining yourself or or denying certain things is important in the underground as a label, yeah, refusing yeah. certain things of to course. do them,
1: of course. If they are, if they are, I'm talking from my perspective, of course. If they go against the basic, the main uh, principles of why I'm doing it, what I believe this network is about, I shouldn't be doing it. Even if it, like... uh, I shouldn't be doing it, I wouldn't be doing it, yeah. I'm not, really, <laughs> I'm talking about a bit in the air here, but...
0: No, it's in, no. I, mean, I am too, I it it, it it just kind of occurred to me, I'm I. i I'm ranting a lot on this one, I guess, or I'm kind of coming to some conclusions that I guess I already knew, but like, maybe that's like the key, those are the key elements of like underground ethics or underground culture. the combination of this kind of like utopian sharing, honesty and like the, the willingness to refuse to do certain things like refusal and, and limiting yourself plus honesty. Yeah, Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I think so. Cause that refusal, I think is a huge, hugely important thing that needs, I mean that everyone does, I think, but I think, maybe needs to be also like more consciously thought about.
1: Refusing something is, I think the, the uh, basics for, uh, many of these underground dynamics, and then you, you know, what you want, you don't want to do, then you will have to think, uh, in common about what you want to do, how to do it in a different way. He said, a very remote uh, by finding the essence of what you're doing. I think yeah. it, it always starts with refusing something. Like you have, uh, you live in a context that's detected by uh, principles that you don't agree with and that uh, are totally the opposite of what you believe in. So you are trying to uh, create something in this tiny bubble. That uh, allows you to uh, do things differently and do it with other people who feel the same about it. I think that's an important uh, first step that should dictate that you should always have that in mind. Should a
0: label be strategic? Uh,
1: Depends on how you're using the term. Every level has to be strategic unless you have like a big bag of money that you can put in a black hole. In that sense, you have to apply a strategy to what you want to do and how to get there. If you're doing it purely out of uh, financial gains over uh, current trends or something like that. That kind of shadier strategy. I'm not doing, I'm not saying what anyone can do or not, but I'm not, I don't find it uh, very underground, I think, but uh, I'm not too sure what, uh, in which way you were using the term.
0: I don't know. It just, it just generally, I think that's, I mean, I think, of course, strategy is important for everything you do in life. I mean, you have to think of some sort of strategy, but I think that's also, yeah, I think that's also an, an, an a noble trait sometimes is like going against strategy, you know? Doing a release that is maybe against strategic goals, like putting something, and I, I mean, putting something out that's like, okay, this isn't popular, no one knows what this is it's going to cost me a lot of money i probably won't make it back but despite all that and maybe because, like, because of all that this is what i'm deciding to release yeah, yeah, yeah. i love
1: i lo- uh uh i love those kind of efforts like uh, absurd uh Seemingly absurd uh, project that you will do it any anyway. Uh, yeah. that I, uh, you may. There are a few things that one one cannot can, can uh, be strate- uh, can use strategy for that anyway. You can like uh, get some return in a in a release that you know will. Do better to invest in a, in a something that will be a money drain, but you yeah. will do it anyway because it's great and you want to do it and yeah very I feel very fond of it
0: definitely I really respect that always that's something I always respect, and I try to do it too. It's like when I, when I have the chance to do it and when that's, when it's, when that's in question, the answer should always be i think like yes, like you know if it's possible. I mean, sometimes it's really not possible, but like, I think the best, the best answer to those situations is yes. And I feel like, I think when we talked one time, when I, when I visited you in, in Lisboa, like a few years ago, when we met, you said something about that. Like you had some, like, you were like, cause you know what? You, you were also on the fucking cutting edge of CDs. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <How> <laughs> I were CDs and the one.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's another thing. You know, I really I really I mean I'm trying to really just commend you as a label because I really respect how you've done things throughout the years and I really respect that you have done it that way and I've always felt like stayed really true to that ethos. And you've been releasing CDs five years before they got popular. And I remember when I met you, you were like, Yeah, I'm doing another C D. It's uh, you know. CDs sell terribly; no one buys them. But um, I believe in it, and it's uh, it's cool shit, and I'm I'm doing it. And a couple years later, CDs just took off, and everyone's like, "The CDs back, the CDs back," and everyone's running to do CDs. But you know, you've been on that, and you've been holding it down, and 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 committed to that. I think just committing to that that pro- that project is really really respectable. And you know, networking and getting your stuff out there to people—you you, you know—you you get yourself out to distros, and that's really important. I think people underestimate the importance of that too—is just spreading releases out and getting them into places where people can buy them, and like actually distributing them, not just selling them, but yeah,
1: right, right, right.
0: distributing them, getting them out to places where they can be found. You know, outside of the. Big cartel Instagram pipeline
1: that's the essential yeah uh, well, the first issue came out very naturally i i'm not I've always been a fan of uh, those kind of underground publications uh, but uh, the first issue came came out very naturally, so I prob- I don't think I had this in mind, very rationally defined. But what I tried to to uh, achieve with uh, with trouble sleep is uh, blending like a uh, more thoughtful approach, let's say, because. I think it has to do with my background in a way, but keeping it very like avoiding like, like the plague, the like dry, uh, boring, uh, uh, approach of the more, the bigger experimental magazines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you have to be, keep it very passionate, keep it uh, done by someone who is actively involved not a tourist, but uh, give it more thought. Uh, I try to... I always, I've always enjoyed, like I love, I still get uh, lots of early metal magazines that I really like. They are really passionate, but sometimes uh, I like to get... Uh, I would like to get a bit deeper as a reader. So I tried to combine the, those two. And the artists I covered back in the first issue was, were people who were, who were was, uh, I was already dealing with. Um, and then it evolved and it got to... Uh, it already was like that on the first and then it uh, evolved... I kept that that same format, which was uh, no reviews because I'm terrible at writing them and there are people who do it much better. Uh, And then mostly it's uh, like Ars noise or or Power Electronics or industrial artists I'm dealing with in a way. Then you have... uh, I interviewed a couple of labels, a couple of zine makers and uh, uh, always uh, an artist that is not directly uh, linked to noise, but has to do with, uh, let's say, noise culture. I had Surizaki Kiyotaka, I had Mike Diana, I had...
0: uh, You had Mike Diana?
1: Yeah. I had Yuka Sikala. Yep. Uh, That's also very important. Like... uh, The noise culture thing, like the, at least for me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, at f- the first issue was, it came out very spontaneously. I don't know. I don't really know. I, for me, it was, I and I didn't, I haven't given it uh, much thought. Like I'm doing a label and I'm doing a zine. It came out like one year of uh, doing a zine, I think. The label, starting the label.
0: Yeah. Right. I remember.
1: I've always been a fan of the reading and writing about the reading even more than like uh, starting that discussion, that reflection of not only listening, but reflect about what you're listening.
0: I think Troubled Sleep is such a good zine and, you know, not read about read read enough and I think not spoken about enough, but I think has some of the most thoughtful interview questions, but still with a really gutter artist. But I'm all I mean, when i started the podcast, I don't know if I'd do a good job with it, but I still go to your magazine to try to help me with formulation of questions where what are what are important things to ask about. Because I've always thought without even trying too hard, you just Ask the, you just ask really poignant questions, and that's that's what's missing. I think that's what that's what I think I love to hear more about in noise. Is hearing people talk about actually the ideas behind what they're trying to do, or really kind of go in depth about what, what's going on. And um, yeah, so I, I think that's a such a good magazine. Um, I I I want to ask you something though that you kind of as a tangent. Um, you mentioned you like having artists that kind of relate to noise culture. What is noise culture to you? How would you define that?
1: Noise culture, uh, I'm using that term. It's not very, may not be that correct, but uh, when I got attracted into noise, in you know, a broader, I'm not speaking about arsenals, like the noise thing. Uh, and that is very visible in the visuals I do. I've always been interested in like, Uh, uh, sex and death let's say those topics are like uh, very remote uh, and very have always been used Uh, so those those, uh, that is to say that those topics uh, of interest are prior to to me discovering NICE. I -hmm. probably found uh, noise resonated with me, uh, not only because of that, but that was also important. I'm not saying like, noise can be that the, one of the beauties of noise is, is that it can be whatever it wants to be. But when I discovered it, it was probably uh, through being already interested in some of the extreme uh, margins of uh, culture from books to film to whatever uh, so that kind of uh, that has always resonated with me in the the and it can, it can be very uh, the approaches to it are, are uh, infinite so yeah. I'm not I'm not saying it everything must be a White House paper or everything has to be a there are many, many. These topics are uh, human, human nature. Uh, we are, we are like uh, these topics resonate very deeply with, very remotely with human nature, for sure. Uh, the approach can be like you can still be very unique. You can still be very uh, yourself, and. Uh, Oh, in a way to that tradition but uh, the nice culture uh, I think it's uh, it's difficult to, to think of it nowadays because uh, that the, the level of uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's also, it's something that is uh, related to a certain uh, time, I think, in a way. Do you think it's changing?
0: Do you think noise culture is changing?
1: The, the thing we are talking about here as noise culture? Yes, but uh, I'm not sure if, if uh, it's changing, of course. Uh, if noise uh, changes, the culture surrounding it changes, and I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm approaching it in the way that uh, that uh, those were the topics of interest when I discovered noise, and are mm-hmm. already they were already my to- my not everyone, so I'm not. Even the noise culture term we're using, it's not really, it's a way of putting it. It's not. Sure, so, sure, sure. Uh, noise can be every, everything. That was my, my influence because of my background.
0: Of yeah. Time. But I do wonder, I mean, I, I, I do kind of I do kind of adhere to this idea that noise can be anything. But I do also feel like there maybe are some inherent... Qualities to it, or inherent uh, connections. You know, I, I like I said, I've been kind of on this kick of arguing that noise can be much more than maybe what it is often presented as. But I think, at the same token, there are probably certain psychological elements that are related to it, and certain that are not. I don't know what they are, but I mean, I'm just you know, I I think that's an interesting topic to to explore further. Is, is What are the inherent qualities of noise beyond just sound, you know, what are the inherent things it does to our brains when we hear it?
1: Yeah. uh, That that, uh, I've been thinking about it. I think it's, um, as you know, I'm very much into underground film as well. Mm -hmm. And there are some. Uh, filmmakers or film currents that uh, I find very similar process to when I'm seeing it to the way I feel or my brain reacts when I'm uh, approaching noise. Let's say uh, something very obvious names like uh, Peter Tsiakowski or uh, Stan Brackets or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The um, some people, people who work with, work with found footage film or people who work with uh, the film itself, the degradation yeah. of film itself, or people who work uh, with structure, like Kurt Krenn, for example, or uh, uh, those kind of approaches... Though, um, me being very much interested in film, in th- that kind of film... Uh, was probably a bigger influence in my relation to noise and music than any music. And uh, I I look at it, noise has the same qualities for me, like uh, finding structures that, you, that are not obvious, that you wouldn't see anyway, degrading a sound or an image to the point of you will not recognize it anywhere any, anymore. You'll find something uh, in itself or anything at all, uh, Found footage rearranging uh, pre-existing material that, and and uh, create a, a new a new narrative or a new uh, a new. Uh, It it probably cannot be. It mustn't be a narrative, but a new a new form, a new format. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is to say, that film uh, film is very important to me. Uh, echoing that that uh, the way I feel about uh, the the way my brain reacts about. Yeah.
0: That. What what is your background in film before? Getting into noise. I mean, you mentioned that you have some background in film studies, and I know you've recommended lots of films to me. You know, I know you're a big film, but what is your actual background in that in that world?
1: My background in what?
0: In the film world, are you just a a fan, someone who's 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 taken on? Have you studied it?
1: I studied. I have a degree in film studies, Mm -hmm. another useless uh, degree, (laughs) Uh, but. uh, so my degree is in film studies, not doing film. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've written about uh, film. I still do. In local, um, specialized, like very tiny publications. Mm-hmm. I've done, while I was in Coimbra, I've done a lot of uh, programming. Uh, Like in abandoned movie theaters, like the uh, very it was a very active period and very rewarding period. But so my background is, uh, I do have a degree in it. But my interest comes back from before that, and it still goes on. Like I don't go, uh, I I don't go to to music gigs, but I, I go every week, I go to Cinematheque, for example. Like my main yeah. is probably, I don't go to gigs because I don't uh, find anything of interest, but no. like the, the film has always been there, the interesting underground film.
0: Do you think there is potential for more combination of cinema and noise?
1: Uh if it's done the right way, usually I don't like I don't like it. Usually I don't like like uh, when sometimes they, they do early film and they do a new soundtrack live in a cinema. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I really I like when it's not used as uh, simply a soundtrack or a layer of, uh, because music can, can uh, it's very easy for music to orient to like, for, uh, yeah. music you're feeling that you're thinking that. Right. But it can be done in, a, for example, I've been, uh, that is a masterwork uh, from uh Fuck TV, the fuck TV, DVD. Yeah. Like that, that is what I, something in that vein, it blends itself, like the noise, the topics, the topic. Yeah. For me, that's noise culture, like riots, violence, colds, the old 90s uh, stuff. And it blends perfectly with the visual and sound. It has the confusion of noise and the confusion of the visuals with that, like, bleak. Uh, if so, I would recommend anyone to get it and to watch it. That is my... If it's something like that, yeah, please.
0: Why do you think that isn't explored more? This... this coming just... I I see what you're saying for sure about the a, a film with a with a music score, but I'm just saying the combination of these forms of sound and image, very basically, is I feel maybe under. It's not it's not seen so often. Why do you think that might be?
1: I don't know. It's easier to do now, and it it was then, uh very naive sometimes, very primitive sometimes in the '90s you have. You have the, uh, I'm thinking about the macrocephalus compost, the old Europa Café VHS Mm -hmm. uh, series, which has like um, that kind of videos, for example. And uh, it was uh, more difficult to do it back then. And they are, uh, some of the results are interesting. Nowadays, it's much easier to do. Yeah, it should be more explored. Could be could be, at least, could be an option. I don't know why it's not, I'm not
0: sure. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there are so many legendary VHS, even DVDs in industrial noise culture, which, I mean, a lot of times it's just concert documentation or something like that, but it does extend into video art and sound art, you know, blended with video art. And at least from my v- impression, that's kind of dropped off now that there's the internet where you could actually sh- disseminate and share that very easily. There's technology, which could make that very easy to do, but I haven't, I'm not aware of much of that happening.
1: I don't know either. Uh, you can see Calo, for example, as some stuff that could uh could feature
0: and Andy Bolas and Roman yeah, yeah, yeah. there as well. I mean, it, it exists. I'm not saying it doesn't. It exists. It exists. But it's an. It's, it's definitely. I think it's a very interesting thing. And you know, Sam Sam McKinley has uh, you know, choreographed one of his pieces and shot it. You know, there 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 are examples out there for sure, but it's i think it's something that'd be interesting to see more of yeah i agree um you also have a certain interest in like noise core and extreme metal yeah yeah. particularly from south america right mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah uh no car and South American black death metal. Uh, South America, the kind of stuff I like, it's so extreme that it's almost like noisecore. So. But um, noisecore for me, it's like the... I was never that much into punk because I thought like the premises of punk really, really didn't... Um, there were some premises, and then you would hear the result, and the result was oftentimes like pop rock. Yeah. <laughs> then, okay, now, as far as the logical conclusion of uh, DIY and not uh, being able to play and not being able to record and get in yeah. and do uh, something very violent and uh, South American, because I had to, I uh, since I'm Portuguese, I, I got uh, the Brazilian. Uh, Sin is a gold mine, both for noisecore and uh, a very extreme Black Death. So being Portuguese, I was able to get in touch with some of the people, especially Cristiano from Necrobotia. He's a really everyone should uh, a really great guy and a pioneer of uh, all that kind of stuff. And that that's all, always been uh, my metal interest is is predates my noise interest and it still goes on but I got bored of most of the stuff uh, and that really for me is the most passionate still is like you can't find it uh, it's a real deal and I even now and then I still uh, release uh, and I'm doing a tape uh, for example, a fairly reissue of early uh, Peru score. Cool. On narcolepsia? No, it's on the side label. Which um, is? Post discs. Say it again? Post discs, uh, records from the pit in Portuguese. I have it with a friend and with Ines. It's like. Uh, since we are three, it's like a place to the uh, to throw our money into the garbage. We, we don't have to. It's very tiny, but uh, like we don't. I don't even like to sell it. It's to try to give to, in true the true noise score, the non commercial. It's a funny thing to do, to clean my mind a bit after. Uh, like um uh, narcolepsy is a very different approach and much more demanding and then i release a nice card now and then to clean my mind that's awesome
0: can you tell me your top five noise releases of all time
1: yeah i have, uh, two have a list yeah. <laughs> i'm limiting myself to uh to stuff i have around mm-hmm. this could change seem- as, as with anyone else, it could change from week to sure. Uh, most of my stuff is in just so I'm limiting myself to some stuff I have around. So we were talking about nice car. I would have I will have to include one. Great. Atrofia Cerebral, Matança Extrema. Nice car from Peru, which got recently reissued on the Fuck Off and Die record, LP. Cool. My favorite uh, nice car, probably my favorite nice car of all time.
0: Cool.
1: Uh, like, ongoing extreme, uh, no fun. <laughs> this is a record I like very much. If you vagina dentata, if you like the record itself, the the sound itself, if you exclude it from the context, it's. Uh, but you have to approach it with uh, like the whole packaging, the whole uh, legendary thing surrounding it, and it can be like it's very disturbing record. I really like it. I had to include a compilation, which was very formative for me. Oh, fuck money, fuck life. The Swedish scene is, uh, from this period was a huge, huge influence still is.
0: Yeah.
1: I had to include something from Italy. Nice corporation, the new crimes, the attempts to be reissued very violent and very, uh, it's a full, there is a CD with a tiny bits of it. This is the whole thing. And it has that kind of uh, unfinished, uh, full of mistakes, full of, I really like that approach.
0: Yeah.
1: And Murder Corporation is like a legendary, I like lots of Italian stuff, but Murder Corporation has always been very enigmatic for me. And I'm, inclu- I'm I've been listening to this a lot. I'm not well versed in Merzbow at all or Japanese noise, mm-hmm. but I'm listening to a lot. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. It's my like. This is my kind of. I'm not that that much into nineties style. It's very good, but it's not my. This is like the loop thing. The this is that's the,
0: earlier, right? That's like like early nineties or late eighties, wasn't it?
1: This is, I think, it's from the '80s. the collection yeah. of, from the '80s. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay, five top.
0: That was five, of all time. That's great. Um, what about five releases of the past year?
1: Not sure if it's from the past year, but recent stuff. The oh, yeah. type on that band, or is like I worship. It's so the best, super good. That's so good. Uh, and it's uh, even if I I enjoy the the previous stuff as much as anything else. I think it's a bit more going to the roots of it, more. Uh, but everything I uh, love does like I worship.
0: Have you heard the new one that's coming out as a 12 inch soon?
1: I know about it. Yeah, I must get it. Of course. Also very good. Atif uh, Natar this is oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if it got wider circulation I think I got it as a kind of uh, in a trade with Remy. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: Uh I like I'm showing it because I I really like this private uh, it is an essential part of noise as well like private stuff and uh, stuff you're doing especially for someone like with right. uh, this is the real deal. This is Barnum. From, from very good. I You got some stuff from, I got it from Vivian. It's a very old contact as well. Yep. I've done many, uh, noise score releases with him on underground pollution. And the, I really like, I really like Vivian and what he does. And this is very good. It's really good. I have that. Very underappreciated stuff. Francis has a lot of good stuff right now. More people should be listening to it. This is a very beautiful edition of uh, Peter Tcherkassky Soundtracks. It's a double OP and seven inch with a booklet. Wow. Since we're talking about film and how it influences me. Wow. And this is a very. I was very into this record, uh, Andreas each row. Oh, it's like a field recording of a Dutch uh, row team, rowing team. Very monolithic, uh, repetitive. Uh, uh, it's not noise itself, but I'm not showing strictly. Sure, it can be noise. It's like. Very relaxing and very, it's a great, great record if you're into that kind of stuff.
0: That's very interesting.
1: I think that's it.
0: That's fine. So, what's, what's coming up on Narcoleptic? What are you working on now?
1: I have lots of stuff going, uh, coming out soon. I have the tape bats you're doing. Yep.
0: I'm doubling for Manuel, a really excellent batch, which I've been taking a super long time on, but I'm really in the last like two days of doing it. Finally. So.
1: So I have those steps. I have the, an unclean seven inch lathe cut. Wow. I have the Carolina uh, L, a uh, Caroline K LP reissue also. Uh, I have a Fecalove with the government alpha collaboration CD on the nice. plant. Then I have a few, a few, not that, not that few, but uh, a few other types. Uh, I'm not uh, saying every name, but uh, sure. a, few, a few pending types that some of them have been taking a while, but I'm working on that as well. Uh, then my main like bigger project for next year is a Primitive Isolation Tatex CD Uh, from Taylor. I really like his project and I, I, like I saw, I saw many projects getting a CD treatment and uh, I was like, why doesn't uh, Taylor get, uh... so I proposed it to him and it's very, it's an excellent one cool. Uh, I think that's it. And then I'm, I'm probably slowing down a bit, but I'm keeping doing it as long as I can.
0: Do you, what do you see happening in the noise scene in the next five years?
1: Mm. I'm not sure I can predict it. I think it will I'm not sure I can predict it. Uh, probably with an increase in production costs, something will happen. So either uh, doing less and uh, uh, trying to focus more on uh, proper albums or proper uh, uh Focus on a, more of a quality control, or using recycled materials to overcome that. In terms of the relationships and the the, the networks, I don't know because we are. You are uh, I'm not sure if uh, there will be another platform coming or uh, whatever. So shipping cost is also a problem, uh, but w- there can be solutions in like sharing uh, regional distribution and stuff like that. I'm not really sure.
0: Do you think the state of the world and the events of the world has a direct influence on the kind of noise or art that's produced? Do you think the state of the world or world events have a significant influence on the type of noise that is produced or the art generally that, that, is, that comes out of this time?
1: Not sure. I don't think so. It affects more of a, in a more practical way, in terms of, I think the, what it's Uh, these dynamics will be conditioned by external factors in terms of uh, manufacturing and distribution, but I'm not sure it will affect uh, that much uh, uh, the content itself. I'm not sure. I, I don't think so.
0: You're probably right. Or at least you wouldn't be able to see it, at least in noise. It would be pretty invisible,
1: Yeah,
0: like an invisible shift think. <laughs> Might see it in pop music or something. I don't know. Okay, Manuel, well, thank you for talking with me. Thank you. And thank you. Telling him more about narcolepsia and uh, love your label. Keep it up. Thank you. Support narcolepsia. Um, it'll be a white sandy noise always and uh, get it from the man himself. You... Require an email, right? You don't have really a, a, an ordering site, right?
1: No, I have a WordPress, very simple with the, what? Yeah. But write me. Yeah. I prefer to get, get in touch. Yeah. Even if you don't want to order, get in touch to whatever you want.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate it and take care and talk later.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in White Stamping Noise. That was Manuel Pereira of Narcolepsia. If you're listening to this and not yet supporting, head over to patreon.com/slash white If you want to start at just three euros a month, you get invited to the monthly White Sempy Noise video party, which is a mix of Patreon supporters and previous guests on the podcast and White Sampi Noise alumni. For five euros a month, you get access to WCN TV content, which is bonus episodes. I do follow-up episodes with certain guests and I'll be doing more. That's WCN TV content, noise on the run, album reviews, and much more to come. If you support it 10 years a month, that's called the Maniac Circle. You get access to the WCN Discord server, access to premium WCN TV content, and this month, to mark the one-year anniversary of the podcast, which is coming up very soon, I'm giving away an exclusive t-shirt to all Maniac Circle supporters. If you wish to take it to the next level and really show strong support, you can become a heavy sponsor. If you sign up for one year support as a heavy sponsor, you would get an exclusive White centipede Noise Maniac Circle bomber jacket. These gifts are being offered until October 7th, so be sure to sign up by then to receive them. They're being printed to order, will not be overprinted. So be sure to act now if you want to receive those gifts.